I'm Kate LaVale. And I'm Michael Vieira. Welcome to this episode of The Canary Group. We've spent our careers working in global strategy, communications, analytics, and intelligence. And if there's one thing we've learned, it's that nothing is ever quite as it seems. With more information than ever, moving faster than ever, it's becoming harder than ever to understand the world around us. So we're on a mission. To combat the tyranny of conventional wisdom. To connect the dots and answer the so what. And empower you to do the same. to the Canary Group. I'm Michael Vieira. And I'm Kate LaVille. Uh, today is episode 13, Lucky 13, and our special guest is Ben. <laughs> ben, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Thank you, man. Um, yeah, Ben. <laughs> I've... Whew, wow. It's kind of weird because I don't like talking about myself. So, <laughs> so an intro Uh-oh. is... This is yeah. going to be a very long hour. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I'll tell you what, then. We, we, we give everybody a little bit of uh, background of how we knew each other. So uh, Ben and I actually knew each other in the private sector for a number of years, and Ben was working in private sector security. Um, but he also was in the Indiana National Guard. Is that correct? Uh, at the time, it was the Michigan National Guard. Michigan National Guard. I completely missed that. Okay, so one state up. Uh, And then you went active. Well, you were, so you actually got the opportunity to attend Ranger School. Is that correct? Yes. So at that time, I was in what's called a LERS company. Um, We were, it was when the Army was dying down the idea of LERS companies, the long-range recon and surveillance groups. And uh, unfortunately, they decided that they weren't viable anymore. They wanted to cut funding at some point, so they took him away. Um, we still practiced the idea of LERS. We had all the training, so we decided we were going to continue to do so. Uh, and I got somewhat of a promotion, I guess, if you will. <laughs> it was a last-minute seat. They gave me a month. They told me in December I was going to uh, Ranger School in January. And I, I couldn't turn it down, man. I was like, yes, absolutely. And for our audience that doesn't really understand, you know, ranger school within the army, uh, I think a lot of our listeners know that I was in the Navy, but a long time previously, earlier when I was a young person um, and and maybe not so smart, I was also in the army. Uh, But ranger school, what is ranger school and what does that mean within the army if you say that you were a ranger? Yeah, man. So you, you have two different aspects of it, right? You have the army has special operations and within special operations they have the 75th ranger regiment Um, usually you would refer to somebody who's in the ranger regiment as a ranger Um, if you go to the ranger school which is a army school that's open to anyone in the army can go you're considered ranger qualified right so you earn the ranger tab you go through this uh, 60 days straight through if you're lucky um, and you become ranger qualified at the end man yeah so uh, it's considered the army's most elite leadership uh, course. Uh, the reason being is because they put you through three different phases, testing your leadership and fortitude and grit, I guess. Basically, for me, it was a suck fest. <laughs> almost, almost, I want to say, collectively six months, close to it, which is an absurd amount of time to be spent at that place. You have the three different, fit back in the day, um, I think it, they stopped doing it in like early 2000s, um, 
but correct me if I'm wrong, I might be mistaken on that. Uh, they used to have desert phase, so it used to be four phases. Um, they cut that down to three, um, so now you have uh, benning phase, which is like your derby phase. It's the initial entry phase of small unit tactics where you're working within a squad at sized element doing small unit tactics, right, so patrolling. Um, they put you in different leadership roles depending on what your rank is or if the cadre or RIs deem you fit enough to be a higher level leader. They put you in that so those situations really just to stress you out and see what you're going to do. And then after that, you move on to mountain phase, which is you go to Dahlonega, Georgia, up in the mountains um, in the, I believe it's the Chattahoochee National Forest, and you're walking around some pretty rough terrain, and the weather is it always terrible. It absolutely is, yeah. 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 <laughs> it is always terrible. But you still live right, right by there. Oh, so And the yeah, weather is always it. terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know it, yeah. Um, and then your final phase is Florida phase, um, which is supposed to be, it's a, it is a 10-day cumulative FTX. Um, so you're, you get some basic level knowledge on like the environment down there. Um, you learn some more uh, stuff on how to operate in like a deserty sand-ish kind of environment, more so swamp than desert. And then you go out for 10 days, you pack out what you need, and you conduct operations um, as a platoon size element. Is it weird at all that they got rid of the desert component given where we've spent the past 20 some odd years? Like that just, so, that math doesn't quite add up for me. Yeah. And I think they used to do desert phase in New Mexico and it was, it was rough from what I've heard. It was really rough. It was the, like the hardest phases of all the phases. And I, I think they took it out because they I have no idea, honestly, why. I'm not even going to speak to, to why. I could tell you why I think, but I have no idea why 4th Ranger Battalion decided to remove it or the Army in general decided to remove it. But it is ironic, isn't it, that where we spent during the GWAT was a very desert-ish environment, right. very mountainous. Yeah. I mean, you did mountain phase really preps you for putting a lot of heavy weight on and going up very steep terrain which is awesome, um, and I think that's important, and especially in, you know, the environment like Afghanistan, it's very mountainous, right, where we spent a lot of our time during the GWAT, so I think people benefited from it. What I think people benefit the most from going to a school like Ranger School is not only the leadership aspect that you get out of it, you learn what kind of leader you are, and you learn how to work with people you've never worked with before, but you also learn more about yourself um, as, a, as a soldier, as a person, how you react in certain situations when mm -hmm. they take away your food and they take away your sleep, and then you have to go out and be expected to perform. You know, I can say that of all the training and courses I've been to so far up to this point in my career, I always use Ranger School as a backstop. I always go back to Ranger School of like, okay, it wasn't Not as hard as bad. that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I can do this. <laughs> And some, you know, some people may agree or disagree to that. Uh, experiences may vary at Ranger School, but yeah, I spent an absurd amount of time there in the suck. <laughs> and so, so it went well. So it went well. Yeah, it went really well. But hey, we're here. <laughs> I do think I do think that's a really important component that lay folks. I am from California, San Francisco, to be precise, and so very different climate growing up and mm -hmm. different attitude towards the armed services. I do think that one thing that is not necessarily assumed or sort of isn't thought of first blush is the fact that it is leadership training. Mm -hmm. uh, we just had Commander Salamander on not too long ago, and 
at the core of everything he said, there was this element of what is good leadership? What is great leadership? And I think the military kind of puts a spotlight on leadership better than any other organization. Like there's one thing it does better than anybody aside from like maybe blowing shit up, but (laughs) it is fantastic at really prioritizing and I don't know how to say it, but like being so conscious about how to develop leaders and what good leadership is in a way that like, I mean, I think the sort of startup culture would be damn jealous about, Mm. like they don't know the first thing about that. Meanwhile, like Ranger School is just producing solid leaders. And that's a great point, Kate. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I want to kind of use that to transition into you know, my unique experience was I was working a civilian job, right? And then I was told, you're going to Ranger School. Awesome. I go to Ranger School, learn a lot about leadership, a lot about myself. And then I've come, now I've returned back to my civilian job. And now I'm back put back into exactly where I was, you know, in my role at the private company, right? And then so seeing the two different sides and then taking my ex- lessons learned from that experience and then putting it towards the civilian sector, it's, I think it's super beneficial. I think it's very important. Um, and I'm going to tell you it was difficult <laughs> because <laughs> like, not everyone goes through the same experience, right? I, I kind of want to equate it to I learn leadership lessons the hard way, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, in Mike and I, uh, we when we were working at the same company, um, when we met, leadership was always brought up as within your departments as you know they always want you to be a leader, be a leader, you know, be a leader in that in, that, in your department, and I think that's the same across the board in the civilian sector is yeah these companies really spotlight leadership, um, and they have all kinds of seminars on leadership Uh, there's all kinds of groups that go to these companies and teach them about leadership and you can go for free and learn about it Um, but I and I know for a fact there are some really good organizations former military members that started up like nonprofits that go to fortune 500 Mm -hmm. companies right and teach them about leadership yep and I, I think that's awesome it's great it's important because like you said it really we learn a lot from how the military teaches their members to be leaders um, and if we can mm-hmm. take those lessons and gear it towards the civilian sector, take all the grit out, take all the suck out, and just give them the raw information on this is this is how you do it. That seems now, wrong somehow, but yeah. <laughs> like... Well, hey, wouldn't it be cool to see CEOs go through like a form of ranger school? I think that'd be awesome. I would, I would love to see that. That would be a fantastic <laughs> television so show. Many I would hurt feelings. tune it. Yeah. <laughs> so many HR complaints. Oh my God. We could never do it. (laughs) I think that a number of the different sort of personality styles and the, the different sort of psychological, you know, batteries they're using now look at two different components of how you engage with people and who you are. And the first is, you know, in an ideal state when things are going well, this is how you show up. This is how you collaborate with people. Your, your values. But then the other side of that is under stress. Here's mm-hmm. how you show up. So here's your worst self. Mm-hmm. And in a way, that's exactly what it sounds like. Ranger school is really focusing <laughs> on your worst self. Yeah, it is. Like, and you're your yeah. worst self 100% of the time. And I think it's important. You need to understand your worst self inside and out. 
right? Because if you don't understand that, how can you make any changes or how can you better it? Um, and that's what the army is really good at because, Mike, you can attest, man, <laughs> there is never a good day. It's never Things are never going to go the way they are planned to go. Um, right. And, and I would say, like, I don't want to say nine times out of ten, but a good majority of the time, you know, when things go poorly, you still have to get a job done. And it's the same thing in the civilian world when – you know, things don't go the way you planned. You still have to perform and get this, get your mission, quote unquote, completed. And so that's what I think is important that you got to take that away from, you know, Ranger School and all the hard army schools and training, right? Take that piece out, give it to Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies, these people who are in these making, making a bunch of money doing what they do, <laughs> working with people, I guess so. <laughs> I think the key word is character. And one yeah. thing that I noticed when you and I were working together, Ben, was is that you had that character. Um, and, and when things were tough, um, as maybe as our audience can see right or can hear right now, is that he uh, Ben has a great sense of humor. Um, and it may not be something that you would usually think from a person who goes to ranger school or the other schools that you've gone to. And, and the other I think side, you almost have to. Nah, I'm a goofy guy. <laughs> but the other side, too, though, is the fact that you also have a tremendous amount of humility. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think that people realize really how prestigious it is to be a ranger school mm -hmm. graduate. Wearing a ranger tab in the Army, that is an extremely hard school to get through. You talk about having to go there and stay there longer. I see that as because I think the Ranger cadre saw the potential in you, but also you had the fortitude to be able to drive through all that difficulty that a lot mm -hmm. of people probably would have just shrugged their shoulders and said, you know, hey, I'm going to tap out, but you never did. Um, and I think that's what's brought you to where you currently are. We're going to talk about a little bit later in the program where you are and what you're doing. But I think that, that those are the special things. And if you're talking about leadership in any sector, private, public, military, it has to come down to character. Um, and mm -hmm. you, it just seems to me that you're the kind of person that when things are bad, uh, that may be when you are your best uh, for you, Ben. And so, you know, I give you a lot of kudos for what you've accomplished, man. Well, thank you, man. Does that surprise you or does that, does that, uh, are you like, yeah, I really am at my best when everything goes to hell? Uh, I think if you asked me maybe five years ago, it would have surprised me. Um, now though, it's kind of just another day. <laughs> so <laughs> like, for I'm me, just that like, awesome. it's just like... another, I mean, it, and, and the thing is, <laughs> so it's the, uh, I guess I, I've always tried to live that, uh, the quiet professional, you know, mm -hmm. mantra. And I never really understood what that meant. I always thought it was like, a, yeah, okay, yeah, you don't talk about what you do, you don't talk about yourself, et cetera, you just do the job and you go home. But now I think over almost 11 years now of service, I, I really starting to understand that, what it really means, that quiet professionalism. It's, for me, it's kind of, you have a job to do, right? You know what you need to get done. And not only are you trying to help yourself, but you're trying to help everyone else around you. And being in that quiet professionalism mantra or mindset uh yeah we're not going to go and i'm not going to 
put a sticker on the back of my car that says special forces ranger army you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you totally <should>. but, <laughs> but, and, and it's not an and insult to anyone in, that like, does that the normal parking lot <laughs> right that's you know, i'm not i'm not digging dogging on anyone that does that um be proud of your service definitely but it's it's more of like hey you know yeah yeah we're in this we're doing it let's get it done man um because it's more important than it, just about us let's put it let's put our nose to the grindstone and I'm, and I'm trying to live that every day, really. Uh, now, I'll tell you, it's funny when, uh, Mike, I'm glad you brought it up, dude. When, and, and Kate, you too, when you mentioned, like, am I at my best when, when things are really bad? Um, it's in my family life. <laughs> I, I'm married. <laughs> I have a, a one-year-old son. When with a one-year-old son, things are always crazy. <laughs> right? Yeah. Things are always crazy. Yes, they are. And, and so I, I was trying to... <laughs> I was telling my, uh, I was talking to my wife about it yesterday or the other day. We were talking about how my, like my mindset and how I think about things. Um, and I was trying to help her understand. And, and she was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, well, just... <laughs> the ranger school guide to child rearing. I love that too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's just a military mindset anyways, because I think uh, I remember being in the military and one of the things they would say to people is like, you know, you had you had various options and one of them would be, you know, also to blow it in place, you know, if you, <laughs> blow it in place. Yeah. Right. Just blow it up. You know, it's like if you can't yeah. do it, just blow it in place. Just and nobody blinked an eye. You know, nobody blinked an eye. <laughs> this your spouse. Has your spouse kind of like gotten the military mindset through osmosis? Because my wife one day surprised me. I came home and I was complaining about something and she just told me, she looked at me, she said, you need to suck it up and drive on. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's been listening. Oh my so, God. Yeah, so. She, uh, that's awesome, man. <laughs> she, she's learning. Yeah. It was a, I think it's a bit of a culture shock for her, but she's a trooper. She is the best. She's so supportive and she really has helped me a lot in the past couple of years with where I'm at and what I've had to go through. Um, and especially with having a baby. So yeah, she's the best, uh, but she's learning. Uh, it's, it was a culture shock because when we met, um, it was when Mike, I left to go take an active duty assignment up in Michigan. One of the times that I left, uh, and we met then and we were friends then started talking and then we started dating and, um, and <laughs> we got married and then it was, Hey, you have to move to North Carolina. And I was like, Oh God. <laughs> she was like hey okay cool let's go and even now to this day you know i'm asking her i'm like hey where where would you want to go you know if like they give us the option if i have to relocate like where would you want to go she's like i don't care we can go anywhere I was like, that's awesome Sweet. so yeah she's great she's it's an adventure yeah yeah i think it takes a special outlook too to just be game mm-hmm. um and open to what's next i think the the longer I adult, the more I realize that that flexibility is a rarity. Yeah. That you can't anticipate that everybody around you will be like, sure, let's try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because um, <laughs> like, it's just, that's not actually that normal. I yeah. think, I think in certain circles, it's a very normal mentality, you know, and folks are self selecting to be in those groups. But then, mm-hmm. yeah, generally speaking, I don't think that's normal, or at least not the majority. Right. Yeah, and in being a military spouse, you know, being with someone who's in the military is challenging as all heck. Uh, and mm-hmm. it really takes it. I mean, they're 
support is super crucial to you know our success too Mm -hmm. and she and I have a very similar mentality where uh, if like for example she's at work or in the middle of doing something she's in in the grind as I call it she's she's like focusing on what she needs to do get done and then that's it um, and I tell her the same because she she asked me she's like hey when you're like out in the field or you're gone or stuff like do you think about us I'm like honestly not that much <laughs> yeah <laughs> as and as bad as that might sound to say right but it's just you know we just we do what we need to get done and I know I'm gonna come home and that's the time I'm gonna sit down and really spend with my family uh, and be with her support her where she needs um, and then spend time with my son so. Uh, her support is amazing. And to all the military spouses. There's trust there too. You're not worrying about, is she okay? Is she capable of taking care of herself and your child? That's right. You're not worried about what she may be doing. There's trust. And that's, that is huge. Mm -hmm. I, I wish, like even my younger self, like it took so long to realize how valuable that trust is to help you focus and to help you achieve and, and do things. I, I wish I could go back and tell, you know, 25 year old Kate that, but that's a whole different <laughs> podcast. It's <laughs> <laughs> another episode. Right? <laughs> yeah. All the things I would tell myself. <laughs> that was your ranger school. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> it is, it is amazing though. I mean, when I was deployed in 2009 and I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm, I'm forward, I'm in theater, I'm doing all these things and I'm the one who's taking all the risks. My wife was back in the rear and had a very big adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had had like a, she had a car accident. She was basically, you know, we had a young daughter. She was like, she, when I came home and my wife was telling me all these adventures and stories, it made my, made my trip look, you know, pale in, in comparison. <laughs> right. like, I thought she, she deserved danger pay. She deserved <laughs> she all these all things. She gets all the hazard you know. duty pay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. She's just imminent danger and everything else going on. That's you right. know, and I was thinking to myself, um, people don't really realize, you know, as uh, military spouses and kids, you know, all the things that they have to put up with too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's great that you guys are having, you know, this sort of relationship and you found somebody who's sort of like, if, if there's a, if there's a female Ben that's out there, that is awesome. <laughs> and you guys have now, and you guys have now created another I can't, I can't wait to meet baby Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yes, baby ben. Yes. <laughs> he is fearless. I mean, like the other day I saw him, he, I put pillows on the edge of the couch cause he likes to climb up there now and run around. He I call it a, a PLF, <laughs> Mike, if you remember. <laughs> yeah, parachute, parachute landing, landing falls. Fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won't go nice. this specific, but listeners who know what I'm talking about, Mike, Kate, for, for your reference, it's basically like the dumbest way to fall ever. Um, <laughs> but he like PLF off of the couch and out of the pillows, got up and started running around. I was like, oh, this kid is awesome. <laughs> it's so funny. That's, well, you stood... You start building up your the different sectors of your house so there can be That's like right. a jungle phase. Yeah, and hey, everything. Go on, yeah. <laughs> go start them early. <laughs> yeah. So, a couple of questions, um, yeah. especially like with kids. It's so funny because they just my my daughter I would say is the fearless one, and she's a monkey. And I don't know how many times I've seen her do things that just the human body shouldn't be able to do, and yet <laughs> she's still around, um, still kicking. Were you a super active kid or were you, would future Ben be able to say, oh yeah, I was definitely heading this direction my entire life. And where did the service come from? Is that like a family thing? No, yeah, that's a great question. So I am not, I wouldn't say the first in my family um, to join the military because my 
but I would say that like the first of my generation, if that's correct to say, uh, my grandfather on both of my mom and dad's side were in the service. And they, just during that era and time, it was very common for that to happen. So my grandfather on my mother's side was in the Navy. He was a naval dentist. And my grandfather on my father's side was in the Army. He was in the JAG Corps. Um, actually, he wasn't even in the JAG Corps. He got recruited to the JAG Corps um, because he was one. This is such a weird story. It's funny, though. Uh, he was stationed at Fort Bragg as well way back in the day. And uh, he knew how to do taxes. And so one of the generals pulled him to say he wanted him to do his taxes. Um, and then he, so, yeah, so he just was doing the general's taxes. And then from then on, he, he was in, I think he was like just generally enlisted. Yeah. yeah, he was a, <laughs> he was a private, just a general enlisted private, I think in the infantry and uh, <laughs> got pulled a special duty to do taxes. And that's all, that's what he did. Yeah. Just slide his way out of it. It was great. It was like awesome. Proud um, to serve. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but no, to, yeah, to answer your question, I think the service really started in high school and it, it as corny as it is to say i really get like was bought into the uh advertising of the military um i in high school um i wasn't super athletic i was on the swim team for three years of high school um i loved it i loved the team mentality and my, I think mm-hmm. my swim coach really pushed me over the edge to want to join and be in the military um at the time his son was joining the Marine Corps. And so we did a fundraiser event for his son and his unit for like just equipment um, for their team when they mm-hmm. were deploying. And um, I was like, Oh man, that, that service. And he would talk about it a lot. Um, and he, and he kind of ran the team. I, w- I want to say like similar to a, a military unit, right? Like a, a platoon, so to speak. I and mean, he was very about, you know, group physical uh, activity you know, if you messed up, you paid for it type of thing. <laughs> uh, but he built that team camaraderie. And so hearing him talk about it, kind of building me up that way uh, to work together as a team. And then, you know, just the cool guy commercial of a dude jumping out of a plane and, you know, shooting guns and doing stuff. Uh, <laughs> I was like, man, that's cool. I, I kind of want to do stuff like that. Uh, and, it, and I think in our, where I grew up, um, I'm originally from Illinois. I went to high school in Deerfield, Illinois, uh, which is coincidentally enough, Mike, right next to Riverwoods, where we worked at Discover. We used to work. Yeah, where yeah. we used to work. Um, yeah. And it's a, you know, it's like a small-ish town. It's a suburban town in mm-hmm. outside of Chicago. And, you know, it's very, like, pretty normal. There's, there's a good amount of wealth there. Uh, we grew up, I grew up middle class with my family. You know, me, I just me and my sister. And, and we kind of, we I would say, a very normal life uh, in that era, uh, in that town. Um, and it was very uncommon for people to join the military in that town. I think maybe three, uh, only three of us, maybe five, maybe five. I think it was maybe five of us joined. Um, and I was the only Army guy. I have a good buddy of mine. He's not in the Navy anymore, but uh, he joined the Navy uh, right out of high school. And then a couple other buddies joined the Marine Corps. So it was, it wasn't like ostracized. It wasn't like a bad light was put on it. It just wasn't a focus. Like it wasn't very talked about, right? You you didn't see parents or the school really promoting, yeah, join the military, you know? 
it was more geared towards, hey, go to college. And that's what my parents really wanted me to do. Uh, and they didn't support it 100%. And they were like, no, go to school, get a college degree. And so I still had that bug in me to join. Um, and I had no, I was so ignorant. I, I wish, like, I wish I knew more. <laughs> I was so ignorant. I wish I did my own research, but I was just so about it at the time. I didn't know that there was this thing called the National Guard. You know, I didn't know about reserves. I thought it was the army was the army and that was it. Uh, and I wanted to jump out of planes and shoot guns. So that's, and that's what I wanted to do. And so, um, you know, I, I kind of, because I was too, I was not old enough at the time to sign up myself. Um, I kind of put it on the back burner. I decided I was going to honor my parents' wishes and apply for school, um, which I did. And then my gears kind of focused towards like uh, becoming federal law enforcement or being a cop, mm -hmm. um, which I think is, it translates well, right? The same mindset mm -hmm. of people who work in law enforcement uh, also have a military mindset, right? Mm -hmm. It's oh, not yeah. the same, but they're very similar. Uh, and so that's what I was going to do. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, how can I do that? Well, if I'm going to school, I'm going to get a criminal justice degree. I'm going to try to go to the best school that I can to get a criminal justice degree. And that was Michigan State at the time. They were ranked, mm -hmm. I think, number one for a research university and criminal justice program. Mm -hmm. So I applied. I got in. Uh, and then I, as soon as I was dropped off, my parents dropped me off, was in my dorm room. I walked over to, I looked up a recruiter's office. <laughs> And I was like, where is a local This is office? a really, really inefficient way to get a ride to Isn't the recruiting it? office. Isn't it? It's ridiculous. Like... <laughs> it's a really long way to do it. Don't do it. That's amazing. Um, and so I looked. There was one on campus. So I was like, oh, awesome. I can ride my bike there. And I went. And it was a... I was an Army recruiter. There was an Army Reserve recruiter. And there was a National Guard recruiter. And... The guy in there was like, hey, what, you know, are, what's going on? He thought I was a kid right off the street, the way I was talking to him. And he's like, yeah, I can, I mean, I can sign you up, man. But have you heard about like this program where you could go to school and be in the military at the same time? I was like, what? Like, what? what is that? <laughs> <laughs> you can do both. <laughs> you know? He's like, yeah, man. And he's like, you can do all the cool jobs that you want to do, but you just would do it one week in a month and two weeks out of the year and you get your college credit and you can even get college paid for it. I was like, oh, wow. Like awesome. my parents would love it. So I was like, oh, sweet. I could sell this to my parents and I can fulfill my want to be in the military at the same time. So I signed up. I was like, yep, sign me up, man. Uh, I, re I remember like talking to him and doing papers and everything. And then I went back to my dorm room and I called my mom and I was like, Hey mom, I, uh, I did something. And she's like, what? <laughs> like you haven't even started school. Like, what are you talking about? I was like, I enlisted. She's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> she thought she was so upset. And then I was like, no, 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 it's really cool. I can, they said I can be in school and be in the army. And she's like, okay. whatever." Uh, and it, it was great. I mean, I'm, Looking back, I'm really glad I, I worked out that way um, because mm -hmm. having your college degree going into military service is huge. I don't think people really understand how big a deal that is because at a surface level, that's promotion points, it's extra money, um, but on a more underlying level, it's life experience. Mm -hmm. um, 
I saw a lot of kids. I went through training with people that, like, this is back in the day, 2012, okay? That's when I went into basic training. Um, people didn't know how to make their own beds. Uh, like, kids didn't know how to tie their own boots. I was like, oh, what? And I'm Ooh. thinking, like, how are you, how'd you make it here, man? What, what are you doing before? <laughs> how <laughs> did you get like, dressed oh, to get yeah. on the bus? <laughs> like, yeah, and these people, I mean, they're the same age as me, 18 years old. And uh, I was oh, my God. Uh, but the military does a really good job of breaking you down and building you back up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it was it was great. You know, I got to get, get a lot of things out of my system while also learning a lot of different things. Um, be kind of being an adult, so to speak, right? Or mm-hmm. from an early age. Because you get a lot of responsibility when you get show up to a unit. Like, Mike, you can definitely attest to this, man. Like, you, I was a, I was a specialist um, because I had college credits and stuff that got me my rank. So by the time I showed up, I was an E4 specialist. Uh, my first job was a forward observer, which is a nickname Fister. Um, we, yeah, it's uh, nice. Yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> <Classy>. <laughs> fire support specialist. We we call for fire. We we call in artillery, um, mainly artillery and mortar fire. But we can you can go to different schools and you can learn to call for air support things of that nature um and so i showed it to my team and, it, and naturally they're a small knit team as it is they kind of roll around with the infantry units and from like day one they're like hey man you're responsible for all this equipment oh also you're going to be the guy that calls for the big guns when these guys get into contact and like that's a lot of responsibility for a young kid um mm-hmm. and i think because i you know did a lot in college and was going to quite learning in college, um, which all college did was teach me how to learn. That, that's really yep. good for me. But because of that, right, I became, I was smarter at the back end. And then now I'm in this unit with a lot of responsibility and now I have to do all this stuff. I think it helped immensely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that this is like, if, if someone were to come to me today, like an 18 year old kid and is like, Hey, I want to join the military. I'm like, Go to college. Do your research. Um, but I would say like, you know, there's, there are options. Um, and it's important to know all your options before mm-hmm. you make a decision there. Uh, <clears throat> it took me, I like to say like to my, up to my career, to where I'm at right now, I took the long road, <laughs> right? But uh, the there, was a way, there was a way quicker. Like if I knew back then, like there was a way for me to get in. Um, it's called the 18 X-ray contract. It's basically mm-hmm. anyone, you have to have a college degree. Um, I think you have to be a minimum of like 21 years old, but you can enlist off the street and go right into special forces training, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, and, and I've met very like super cool people that do this like uh, a lawyer on the civilian side was doing oh and you can do it in the national guard too by the way so you can do it part-time uh but yeah they're a lawyer on the civilian side he was a, a strength and conditioning coach for two major universities and he's got a master's and he was like yeah i just want to be in ssf a doctor an er doctor i was like oh my god like these guys it is so cool um mm-hmm. so it's an option for, to do that but anyways i guess i I sidetracked. I <laughs> diverted your question, but that's that's kind of a little bit of background of where I got the bug um, and how I mm-hmm. started. Um, and now, well, you sort of 
you've sort of scared it ahead because we were going to talk to everybody. We were saving this to tell everybody that actually after you've done all these things, you are now in the Army Special Forces. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and one of the things that you... <laughs> Well, well, one of the things, too, because you and I were talking about this before we, we started uh, the episode, we were talking about that people probably, th- people know, they've heard Special Forces, they've watched television and movies and things like that. But like The Princess Bride, it may not be quite what, you know, <laughs> that word may not be what you think it is. Yeah. And and we, we hear the word Special Operations, we hear Special Forces. Could you just quickly tell our audience, first of all, like, what is Special Operations? What does that mean? And then what are the U.S. Army Special Forces? Yes, so to hopefully clear the air, um, the news media loves to throw around the term special operations. Um, I think it's just kind of grown from, you know, back in like 2001 to now. It was like a, you'd see like masked people running around with cool guy gear and you're like, oh yeah, that's, those guys are special operations. Um and <laughs> to now people I think I would like to think have a little better understanding but I don't think that's the case really because um, it's they're not it's not specified right like they just don't they just kind of throw that term around and people assume they think of what it is and, and leave it alone and it's never expanded by it. that's it it's that and, generational parenting though you know everyone yeah. gets a trophy every operation is special yeah. right right and and I've and I laugh and it and it's no I'm, I'm in no way trying to put anybody in the regular military down whatsoever. I think everybody has a very important job, but when I see the news media covering an event and they call, they say special operators sent to so-and-so country and you look and you're like, these guys are, that's a signal group. They're not special. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, you know, hey, like those guys are, they're getting after it too, but it's, but you see how I'm, what I'm saying is like the media excuse everything. Um, so the army, and I'm just going to speak to the army because every branch has their own special operations. Um, and I have not, I have never been affiliated with any other branch. Um, so I'm not going to speak to them, but the army has, and I'd like to think of it as an umbrella, right? So, excuse me, at the top, you have special operations, right? And you open up that umbrella and under special operations, uh, you have, the 75th Ranger Regiment, you have the Green Berets, um, you have a even more uh, specialized unit, uh, then you have, um, I'm missing one, oh, C- Civil Affairs and Psychological Operations, PSYOPs, right? So you have all these different groups under special operations, right? Each one, each organization, had their kind of, they have a specialty, right? They specialize in doing something, right? Uh, and they were created for that reason. So, uh, for example, um, civil affairs, right? Their specialty is winning the hearts and minds, right? So they, they'll go out and they wear, uh, you know, they might not be wearing a uniform, but they try to, they hand out soccer balls and get in with the locals and, um, support job, right? Uh, psychological operations, right? Their thing is, you know, blaring rock and roll music out of the back of a truck, <laughs> Like we all have seen the Vietnam thing, right? Like that, that is, you think of PSYOPs like that's PSYOPs. 75th Ranger Regiment, they're really good at doing hits on target, um, usually being like a quick reactionary force for another team. They are, they are like so good at what they do um, that everyone kind of recruits to them and says, hey, we need you guys to do this for us because they're just so darn good at it. They're more of like a direct action 
force. And then finally, you have the Green Berets, uh, which the Green Berets and Special Forces, those are the same. So when you think, when you hear Green Berets, you think Special Forces, it's the same, right? Someone, Special Forces is not 75th Ranger Regiment. That's 75th Ranger Regiment. Um, Special Forces is unique in the fact that we can do so much. Um, our scope of practice, like our job scope is huge. Uh, we cover a massive amount of different tasks um, because we're kind of like the Swiss Army knife of the military, right? <laughs> and, you know, within Special Forces, you have each member of a team has their own specialty job, right? But you're expected to know kind of everybody's job, a little bit about it anyway. So it's really awesome. Um, you know, if we can do direct action, um, we can do our main thing, our bread and butter is like guerrilla warfare. Um, and that's what they were, we were originally established to do um, back from the Vietnam era. Uh, but uh, really, you know, you give us a job, we're like, yeah, we can do it. And we're really good at doing stuff with very little amount of money, not great equipment, and not and uh, not great resources. <laughs> so um, that's so and, great. Yeah, <laughs> so it's awesome. You, you kind of just you work with what you got, um, and and it's fun, and I really love that about it. You know, when I um, when I was like kind of figuring myself out early on in my career, I knew what it was and it and it was shocking the amount of people that even in the military members don't know what a green beret is like oh what i don't know what that is <laughs> they just don't know what special forces is it's hilarious so i was figuring it out like you know yeah this is cool i want to do something harder i want to do something more elite uh and uh there was a there's ways you can get into it there's multiple different ways you know i was in the guard at the time so the easiest thing for me to do was go the guard route um, rather than switch over to the active side. So there's a, there, at the time they were based out of Illinois, they, they do a tryout. You could go and show up and they put you through the ringer type of thing. Mm-hmm. I think I was 19 right into that. So it was like a year into my career. Um, you know, I was young and naive. Like the only thing I had going for me was that I was physically fit. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the guy was like, Hey man, um, why don't you come back when you're a little older? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah. And then, received, I, yeah. and then, you know, life happens, right? So you just kind of get caught mm-hmm. up in life and doing different things. You know, like Mike said, I, I had a cool opportunity to go be a part of a, a different kind of a unit within, the, within my guard state. Um, and then they, you know, they sent me to some pretty school, cool schools. One of them was Ranger. Uh, so I got a lot of opportunity there. And then I was like, Hey, I still want to do that thing. Why don't I come back and revisit that? Well, let's do that again. Yeah, and we went down and did it. So, Mike, to to your question, that kind of breaks down the umbrella of uh, special operations and what special forces is. Uh, yeah, it's it's it is awesome. It is the coolest thing I think anyone can really do in the military um, because when you're forced to you know, work in these really poor conditions, like with minimal resources, it's super cool to see what people do and what they come up with. And I think that's the awesome thing about being in a special operations community and then specifically in special forces is that you get all these people from different backgrounds that come together uh, and you're, you want to be that out-of-the-box thinker. Um, in, the, in the regular military, you're, very, you're put in a box and you're supposed to conform to that box. And it's not frowned upon, but... It's not, 
it's not always encouraged to think outside of that box. Mm -hmm. um, in this environment, it is, um, and you're you really want to, uh, because you know your job depends on it. So and your life depends on it. Uh, so it's <laughs> it's important. Um, and they, they teach you some, you do learn some really cool things. Um, I've been mm -hmm. very fortunate to learn from some really awesome people who have done some really awesome things. And specifically, uh, I'm a special forces medic. So um, my job, I think, is one, is the best job. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course, right? <laughs> um, and, I mean, the, the training is grueling. It is, mm -hmm. it is a test of your mental fortitude, for sure. Uh, I want to say, but, you know, like I said, I, I equate everything back to ranger school, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> like, were there, were there times where it was like a different kind of tough? Hell yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, you, they were, being a medic, you kind of have to go through two schools just to learn your job. One of them isn't mm -hmm. even part of the pipeline. Um, and it's nine months straight of, you're kind of like going to med school, I want to say. But it's like mm -hmm. an army's version, special operations version of medical school. So they took classes condensed them down into certain phases right like for example one of them was a anatomy physiology class college level anatomy physiology class with a lab so we had we had cadavers and um mannequins mm -hmm. and things of that nature and you learn that in four weeks <laughs> it is every every friday is a test you know you your standard you have to get a 75 percent or greater to pass and you don't want to be that guy who just gets 75, right? So, right. Like, so you are, I mean, I was, oh, you could ask my wife. I would go in super early and then I would come home, see her for like an hour and then I'd be like, okay, going up study, like three hours. <laughs> and that was life for a long time. So that yeah, was great. And then that's when you know, that whole, uh, going back to that team mentality, right? Working with people, mm -hmm. uh, and learning that early on was super helpful because, you know, you get here and you really, you're kind of relying on the person to the left and right of you. Even if it's a, it's a classroom setting, right? We're not out in the cold, in the crappy environment. We're not getting shot at, but the stakes are super high because there's the stress of learning this stuff for the first mm -hmm. time ever. So you're like, maybe the guy, I had a really good buddy of mine who was just super smart and I would study with him. And I'd be like, hey, man, I'm not getting this. He'd be like, yeah, dude, let's go. Let's review it. We'll just sit in this classroom for two hours and write on a whiteboard and we'll draw it out. I was like, oh, my God. But it was awesome. I mean, those, those types of mm -hmm. people are out there um, and they help you. So mm -hmm. it was it was really cool. It was really awesome. It also, I think you you only get better by surrounding yourself with people who are better than you. Absolutely. And that's, <clears throat> at least I feel like that's when I've really been pushed and I've felt like I leveled up, mm -hmm. was being around people that were just plain awesome. And it sounds like this, the pressure kind of forces that. And you see who's willing to step up, who's willing to put in the time, who's willing to really embrace that suck. And yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Kate, using the lingo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> my like week it. has just really sucked so i've got ah, it yeah go. like, yep. <laughs> like it's like i was there <laughs> well the military feeds you with a fire hose yeah and in, in the civilian sector i mean they don't think an 18 19 20 year old can handle you know making copies you certainly <laughs> don't want them to basically program the uh, the coffee maker mm -hmm. uh, but the military turns around you've taken a minimum i mean you've taken the armed service vocational aptitude battery the asvab test 
and they look at a number of different things and then they just say, let's see what you can do. And they give you that opportunity, right? And then the other side too, though, is that, you know, if you have the, um, I think you have the character, but you also have that ability to grow and learn. Um, Mm -hmm. I didn't, when I went through, I certainly didn't think I was going to be able to memorize all of these things and be able to go through all those things, but you're sort of forced to, right? right. So you just, you're going forward and doing all those things, but it, it does show you actually what an average or slightly above average person can do with the right environment and with the right motivations. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, Isn't that interesting where how that, if you, if you break it down like that and you look at the, the face value of the army, right. Of how they teach people, they've figured it out. They have done mm-hmm. a really good job for many years taking, you know, a, a person off the street, putting them into a job, learning a skill, and then going out and actually doing that job. Um, and hopefully they're doing it well, right? <laughs> but, but I think yeah. there's something to that. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, you can take that. I mean, you look at, I'm going to use Discover, for example. <laughs> um, hypothetically oh. speaking yeah <laughs> hypothetically, hypothetically right not that not that we not that we work there or anything, right but yes <laughs> right well i mean okay just a general company right i mean look at the amount right. of people and this was my experience and and mike maybe yours too kate as well right where you look at the amount of people that are in a job that you know whatever their specific job is that they have to do and that they're just either not as productive or they work the bare minimum um you know, for whatever reason. Uh, but then in a, in a similar light, you have some kid who's getting paid dirt money to do a yep. very dangerous job and they want to do it well. Like mm-hmm. they, if they, the average military person, you go up to them and you ask like, Hey, do you like what you do? Hell yeah. I love what I do. And they want to do it well for no other reason, no apparent reason other than because they want to, or they're doing it, let's say for their, they got good leadership. Uh, yeah, they're doing it for somebody else, right? Or, or just themselves. They're not doing it for the money, that's for sure. Right, uh, right. Yeah. I've thought about this a lot, and so like, how do you take that mindset and kind of teach people or instill that into a civilian populace? Um, because I think it would just people would thrive, um, it, productivity would increase. And this is something that. Back in my academic days, this was an area that I really leaned in and was very curious about. And I had one professor, um, Arun, hello, if you're out there, you're the best. But he, he basically pointed out that those people who have that extra try, who have that drive for better or best, not necessarily perfectionists, because mm-hmm. perfectionists want something that's done, but the high achievers are the ones where you're never done. All of those people have a similar component, which is in some aspect of their life that mattered, they were not enough. They were not good enough or they were told they weren't good enough. It's this deficit where there's that sort of extra urge to prove it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if the army specifically doesn't attract those people, especially for the special forces, people who are like, I, I believe I can do it. Like I can prove that I can do it either to myself or to somebody else, you know, and they want to show up the best that they can. Mm -hmm. But I do think there's almost that chip on your shoulder that, I mean, I always joked in, in grad school, 
there was maybe like one or two true intellectuals there. The rest of us, mommy <laughs> issues or daddy issues, like that's what got us there. That's what got us awake yeah. every day, took us through our dissertations. Yeah. Uh, just mommy issues, which I think is true. <laughs> <laughs> at least for me but um again that's that other podcast but i i do think that having that chip on your shoulder of wanting to prove something is one of the greatest motivators if we could bottle that we would we would never there would never be a problem we could not overcome right oh i agree 100 percent. yeah it seems like and Michael, I don't know about your experience either, but it does seem like it's not just like good enough will never be enough. Those people who are really hungry to show up. I don't know if that tracks with your experience. This is totally a hypothesis of a former professor, but I thought it was so it really rung true for me. I went in as an 18 year old also. I put on delayed entry, so I had a little, a little time and then turned 19 when I shipped out. But I found when I got there that it was the first opportunity, I think, to be in what I felt was a meritocracy. Mm. Um, you were being treated and, and by everyone, you know, by what you did, not what you looked like or where mm -hmm. you came from. Mm -hmm. It was basically you were, people were looking at you and saying, yeah, I don't care about that. Yeah, but are you doing your job? And the biggest thing I think that I think that's something that Ben mentioned, too, is a big motivator is you learn that you don't want to let your friends down. You yes. don't want to let your team down. You don't want to let your platoon down. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a very big motivator, especially for a young man or a young woman. Um, I think they are very much you, you come into the team mentality. And that's the big lesson that comes out of this, that you want to uh, you, you're taking care of other people. And you may not like everybody that you're working with. But it doesn't matter. Right? It's, <laughs> you know, it's right. like it's it just completely transcends all that thing, and I can't explain it. I've heard people describe it, but I can't explain to people who haven't experienced it. It is that it is closer than family, and it's like you're just in this really weird, and it's a very weird dynamic. I'm sure you've got stories that you can tell <laughs> Ben about, you know. But I mean, you you you're with these people, you argue with them, you fight with them, but gosh, you better not like don't let them down. And, <laughs> That's right. and, nobody, from, That's right. and nobody from the outs and nobody from the outside better come in and start messing with your people right. or doing things cuz it's like it's family. And that and that's well, yeah, but it's like family plus. You're doing more with these people because I certainly wasn't doing as nearly as much as I was, you know, with my family that I did with the people <laughs> that I was serving with. So it was just a lot more. It, it was a lot more involved. And there was one more thing I wanted to raise, and just for for our audience, and it was that if you're doing it right in the military, and whatever your job you're doing is awesome. Yeah. Like if, if you don't like your job in the military, then it's terrible. That's and right. we'll use that word. It's yes, it is prison, but worse. You know, it's like um, it's the suck. But as we use that word again, the suck. But um, but if you like what you're doing and it doesn't matter what you're doing, whether you are in special forces or I did aviation, I was in army aviation or cooking or whatever it is that you do that gets you up in the morning. But if you love your job and you find it, I found those are the people that I would see in the military. I love being around those people because they love being there. And if you met a person who hated their job in the military, you hate being around that person. <laughs> Dude, that is that's like life in general, bro. If you if you were yeah, I was gonna say I'm like that doesn't sound like at all so unique, hateful, right? Or just as negative. You don't want to be around that person.
but especially in the military, bro. <laughs> but the difference is in the military, though, you're kind of locked in. That's you know, it's Yeah, like you can't get away from it. Just, there's yeah. no escape. Exactly. Yeah. Well, they're not going anywhere. You know that they're like they're on a time limit. Like I said, the only two differences is like prison and the military. It's like you know where you're going to be for that time, but that time period. Yeah. You know, it's like well, and when your when your parole's up, then you know you're up for parole. You're you're good. So or ETS. And, and then for me, like my mindset is just geared towards if I end up doing something that I hate, but I'm in that position where I have no other option and choice. Like you might as well do it well, mm-hmm. right? And then when you when you take that mindset to where. Yeah, I hate this. This sucks. But I kind of like this in aspect of it. Focus on that. Do it well. The rest kind of mm-hmm. follows. Um, and, and Mike, you, you said it perfectly, dude. In in the military, you are judged on you are doing. Are you doing your job well? And if you do your job well, people notice that, and you are rewarded for it. Um, and yes. the, the army is great for that. The military, I think, in general, is great for that. And and I hope you know. In my experience, that is very true, um, and I I hope there's probably someone out there that hasn't had the same, right? right? But the majority of it is that yeah, that's how it works, um, and I can say that is another huge thing that keeps me in and keeps drawing me back in, um, as opposed to working in a the civilian sector, is that. I feel sometimes, um, and it and it's happened to me personally that your success in your job, your if you're doing your job well, it gets easily overlooked, maybe mm-hmm. because it's expected. But th- there's been countless of times that I can look back and say, you know, I've seen people do the bare minimum, and I'm never satisfied with the bare minimum. Um, and so when you do something that is above and beyond, yeah, I think that it's important that it gets acknowledged. Mm-hmm. You know, in especially in a non-military environment, right? Because you want to reinforce that good behavior. Now, like in the military, it could go one of two ways, right? Uh, I've seen it where, yes, you're doing your job. You're supposed to be doing your job. Keep doing your job, right? You're not going to get any extra praise for that. But if you do something extraordinary, uh, like let's say you did your job, but not only did you do your job, you helped all these other people do their job and we were successful at that. Yeah, that gets rewarded. I don't want people to get that light of ah, people in, in the army. It's just so hardcore that like you're just expected. You're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. And that's it. You're expected that. Um, and that's the end of it. Um, but no, like you get, you get rewards for doing stuff. Um, and if, and mm-hmm. yeah. if you have a good leadership, like I've been very fortunate. One of my positions, I worked under an awesome captain um, and he was very good about like, Hey, if you did something great, I want to make sure it's recognized and I'm going to put you in for something for it. It could even be as something as simple as like a high-ranking officer who you thought never knew you existed comes by and says, "Hey, you're doing a great job, man. Keep it up." Like, ah, that's sweet. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, when I was in the civilian sector, multiple times, it was never. Unfortunately, I'd never went that way. Um, it, well, I won't say never, not never. Um, but a majority of the time, it kind of was that way, uh, where you fall into this rut, right? And then people, you get grouped into this. Oh, he's in the securities department. Um, oh, they're just costing us money all the time and yeah. he's sending his reports up and yeah, they're really neat and organized, but Hey, I appreciate it, but I'm not going to, who cares? There's a sociopathic, uh, aspect, I think of the civilian world. I'm not saying everybody's a sociopath that goes into the private sector, but I mean, you're working for a lot of people who are looking out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the military, ultimately it is, you know, there's a team and, 
we were talking earlier about, you know, the idea of leadership in the civilian world and everybody looks at things and they want things a certain way. But when it comes to actually performing, I just don't think that they understand or the motivators aren't there. Um, and, you know, one thing that you were talking about with special operations, uh, as a caveat, I did some work with special operations, but I'm not special operations in any way, shape or form. I just helped special operations people. But the mission that they were doing was very dare I say, seductive. I mean, you know, uh, in the military, we talk about the real world mission. You know, there's training and then you're in garrison and where you're just, you're, you're in stasis to prepare yourself for war or, or conflict. Mm -hmm. But the special operations people tend to be out in the world doing things. And when you're supporting these types of folks and they're doing these types of things, uh, they told me, they said, there's only two people in our world. Either you're useful or you're useless. <laughs> and what are you going to be? And I was like, I'm yeah. going to be useful. I'm going to be as, right. I'm going to be the most useful cog <laughs> in this watch. I'm going to be the, the widget that basically spins around and does useful things yeah. to help you guys. Because you, you want to help these guys because they're doing things that are really important. And right. they're, you know, and as you said something earlier, too, you said, you know, it's got real world ramifications. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't yeah. do your job, people die. Things get blown up right. that we don't want blown up, yeah. and then it gets on the news, and they're like, "How did this happen?" And it's like, "Well, right. because Oops. somebody didn't do their job." Yeah. So, yeah, man. Yeah, um, I think that's huge. Like, at the end of the day, there's nothing so satisfying as knowing that what you're doing makes a difference. Uh, in the military, in healthcare, I felt it a little bit in public health too, like not to that same extent, because really like it's public health. <laughs> but, um, but for the most part, it's really hard to find something that is that satisfying. Mm -hmm. I, and that's something when going into private industry, it really, that was hard to swallow, to, to walk away from that for me. And I think that there's never going to be anything that's quite as satisfying as when you know that you're serving and you're making a difference. And I got to think that to at least certain types of people that would bring out the best in them too, of just having a purpose and a cause and a reason uh, for doing it. You know, if I don't do a good job, I could very well lose my job, which I don't want to do, but no one's dying. Right. That just doesn't quite get you as focused and honed in and like really finding that flow as when there are actual lives on the line. Um, or something that really matters on the line. Yeah. And of I course, all my a... clients are the best and I love them and they matter more than anything. <laughs> Just saying, I'm, I'm glad everyone's alive. <laughs> yeah. it's And I think that's difficult for veterans transitioning from the military to the civilian sector when they've worked so closely in a team environment and they've been geared towards a certain mindset, like what the military is. And then they get put into, now they're working at a, a company where it's completely different. And like you said, you have that, um, what, Mike, what did you use? Sociopathic. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, because I'll, I'm going to put a, uh, I'll, I'll try to explain it a little bit. It's because I think you were alluding to that because people are looking at you and saying, how is this person going to help me to look better? Mm -hmm. How is this person going to help me make money? It, it's more about the me not the we, right? Yep. So you're going into that, whereas you've just come from an environment where it's definitely we-based, and now you're in a place where somebody's saying me-based. And it doesn't necessarily mean that also that you're going to get recognized for going above and beyond and doing those things. But you'll find oftentimes a lot of military people 
are still going to keep doing it, maybe because it's programmed or maybe that's because mm -hmm. that's just the way they are, right? Mm -hmm. so, yes. Um, so I maybe so I, I hope that I'm sure there's people out there thinking you're calling me a sociopath. It's like I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he <laughs> is. Yeah. You can reach Michael at. <laughs> well, I, I think all three of us have seen people like that, though. I mean, you 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 work with a lot of good people, but every so often you see that person who's very much you know centered on themselves, and it's all about mm -hmm. them, right, and not about the mission or about the people that they're working for. Um, but you see people who identify with what they're doing. You, I think, I would say, Ben, that I could put you into a Baskin-Robbins and you're going to be the damn best person behind that <laughs> counter. And it's not going to be 42 flavors. It's going to be 43, 44 <laughs> flavors. You know, right. and it's going to, you got to mix you know, them up. You got to go for the combo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we're going to take it to that next level and you're going to make sure and you're going to make sure that that scoop is perfect and people are going to get the best damn ice cream experience that they've ever had. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, exactly, man. Well, you know, it's 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 part of, you know, you're taking pride in what you do. Yep. Um, and then also having that positive mental outlook on things. You know, I was uh, recently had she was a civilian instructor. But she came to me and she was like, Holly, you are always smiling and have a good attitude <laughs> and happy. And she's like, how do you, how do you do that? And I was like, well, I don't, you just, you got to have fun with it. You know, you, you, you really do or you're going to drive yourself into this hole. And I actually, I just finished a really good book called The Happiness Trap. I don't know if you've yes. heard of that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Awesome book. Um, and in, in it, it, it was, it's one of those, like, and I did the audio book because I read, okay, but I did the audio book. Um, Solidarity, get, man. I'm, yeah, I exactly. don't remember the last time I had the time to sit down and make it through a full they, book, but I can exactly. just tear through audiobooks. Yeah. My God. Um, but you, there's a lot of exercises in there that kind of teach you about how to you know, get out, avoid the happiness trap. Um, and some of them, for me, were like, okay, yeah, I know that. I know that. But to do them anyway and then solidify that and realize like, wow, I've been doing this stuff but i didn't even know i was doing it just by thinking positively mm -hmm. and then you try to take that right and like right now i'm in a uh, a dive prep program for cdqc and it's crazy <laughs> but, uh, tell, can you tell people what cdqc is because we we, we get stuck in the uh, oh we yeah get trapped sorry, in the acronyms, so. alphabet c yep. so, yeah it's a yeah. combat diver qualification course um and that's and that's part of your special forces training, right? Well, it's it's so anyone in special operations can attend. Um, it's only open for special operators to go, but it is right. the I want to say like it is the hardest, one of the hardest physically demanding courses that you can go to. Just because you're doing a lot of stuff in the water, there's a lot of things that they put you through that are just unnatural, um, and you're pretty hypoxic for a majority of it. So, uh, and it's the pool, man. The water, the water is a great equalizer. Um, you found the strongest person and you put them in the pool and it's like night and day. So yes, I volunteered to do this. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, it's perfect. I actually started reading the book because of, I was doing this and the, the big thing in this training, like to be successful and make it through is you have to be very calm when things are hectic around you uh you you have to lower your heart rate right um and if you have anxiety in the water which i didn't you know i swam in high school so i was like oh i can you know i'm 
I'm gonna do this. Like it's not that bad. It's not gonna be that bad. But this is it's completely different. Um, there's really no swimming <laughs> involved. It's mostly drowning. Uh, and <laughs> so it's, and uh, yeah, it's, you have to be super calm and, and relaxed for a majority of this stuff. So it was like, how do you get out of your own head when things are really scary around you? Um, and you, you have this heightened, you know, anxiety and it was super helpful. I thought it was great. And it's, and then it solidified things that I'm already doing. Um, I think everyone should, I think anyone can benefit from doing that, but yeah, anyway, happiness trap, not taking credit for that. Uh, I can't remember the author. It's a great book. <laughs> so, I wonder um, if it's by the, there was another one that's the likability trap. It seems like it could be a series. It, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, that one got a lot. I, I have not read it yet. It's still in my bookshelf, but a lot of women especially were raving about that as being like the difference between being a leader versus mm. being really well liked mm, and how those yes. are different things. Yes. Which I think does resonate more for women probably than, yeah. than dudes, but still. I had a mentor that told me, and I just, I thought it was so awesome. Um, it was the difference between a great man and a nice man and like a nice man is a yes man but a great man is not afraid to put somebody down in a productive way right basically saying no or uh in, in like in the military it's very common um to kind of just go along with things but to be a great man um and i was like wow yeah that's mm-hmm. yeah it's awesome you're right so uh don't be afraid to you know, when it's necessary to say that, to say no, or to disagree, um, if it aligns with your values or if it's important. Well, the military also teaches you quiet leadership too, Yeah, you know, yeah. to step up. You don't necessarily have to be the leader, but you, at that moment, it, it comes in the weirdest places. Like the military teaches you, you see something, just do it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, take, take the owner, whether you see some trash on the ground, pick it up because right. the military loves you picking up trash, right? Please <laughs> yeah. um, call, yeah. But exactly. That's what. But they're they're instilling in you. You just see something and you do that kind of thing. But the other side too is that you know at that moment you know this is your time just basically to step up and to do those types of things right. and not wait for somebody to tell you to do it. So you're doing it. Uh, or as one, I had a first sergeant who said, you know, do the hard right over the easy wrong. Is what he yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I had another. I had another leader. There's so many great little leadership things. One of them said, like, you know, never step on enthusiasm, but never mistake enthusiasm for competency. So I was like, mm. you know, just constantly <laughs> keep going on to those types of things, and you just keep learning that. And then later, that becomes part of your leadership style of how you're going to be a leader, because ultimately, that's what's, what the military is about. It's about growing you to become a leader someday. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. So. Exactly. So I didn't mean to, t- I didn't mean to take us off on a tangent. No, that's that. <laughs> sorry. I'm totally like still chewing on that. That's, that's profound. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like we're having this military Zen thing going here. Yeah. So we're talking, you know, we're maintaining the inner calm. We're having these little, you know, these koans that we're, we're learning. So I do think that at least from my experience, the more responsibility I get, the more I lead, the more imposter syndrome sets in of like <laughs> i'm not like <laughs> there's no way they're thinking i'm the adult in the room here like this can't possibly be the case but also i just marvel at great leaders because it just seems like the closer you get to being a really good leader the further away you actually feel mm. you know i think i do a decent job i don't know michael might be able to tell me like 
I, I think I'm an okay leader, but I feel thoroughly inadequate <laughs> like all the time, <laughs> you know, and just constantly, like it takes that constant vigilance of, are you know, am I thinking of everything I'm supposed to be thinking? Do I have the right perspective? Am I listening to the right people? Am I, you know, if am I providing the right waiting on different opinions, you know, and just sort of obsessing over the welfare and development of your people. And if you're, if you're being a strong enough, my parlance, mama bear for your people and protecting them, you know, and making the right, the right avenues or pathways for them. And then when you're around those people who are very like selfish, uh, that Michael was talking about, it's highly contagious because it becomes adversarial and then you're just as bad and you, it brings out the worst. So it's just, I, I don't know, this is maybe my little like mini psych session, but I do think that it is really like the more I do it, the further away from great I feel. Mm. I don't know if that's, maybe that's just me. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, it's a fine line, right? And it is kind of a trap. Um, that mindset of you're never adequate enough right? That can be Mm -hmm. dangerous for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you know, the military puts a tremendous amount of stress on people. And then when you're in a stress, when you're at that heightened level of stress for a very long time, you know, it creates problems. And we Mm -hmm. see that now with members of the GWAT, people who have been in for that 20 plus years, who have been under that level of stress, they get out and they don't know what to do now. And And, you know, you go to the VA, it's all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. so how do you kind of disengage, but mm-hmm. disengage in a, without, um, completely breaking it off to where you don't lose sight of what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where it's important that you find like humor in things, get yourself a hobby, right? Like something that kind of distracts you and it takes you out of that stressful environment. Like my, mm-hmm. I play music, I, I play guitar. Complete. It's something that's not related to the military whatsoever, mm-hmm. um, and it distracts me. But also, you tend to find people that, like you mentioned, that are successful, right? Where you look at that person and you say, wow, okay, that person can walk into a room and everyone wants to listen to them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you kind of take bits and pieces from that. Um, and then, like you said also, you mentioned before, Kate, is you attach yourself to that person. Or, Mike, you said this too, man. Um, a successful person pushes you the person that's better than you is going to push Mm -hmm. you to be better um so you can't be afraid to hang out with those people um i personally had this early on in my career for a while where i was i did not want to work with someone that was better than me because i thought it would make me look bad which is not the case at all it's ridiculous like, <laughs> not advisable it's <laughs> it it absolutely ridiculous it's a ridiculous way to think but i had this ego uh, where i was where i was like no way i'm not associated with this person because they're gonna make me look bad and i don't want to look bad but you you have to push yourself through that mental barrier to do mm-hmm. it because um, it's only going to make you better this slight small story um at my when i was in the michigan national guard um I was when I was like one of the top PT performers there at the time. And then there was a new guy that came in and he outperformed me in physical fitness. And so like now I'm no longer the guy that everyone's like, oh, this guy's like the stud. This guy's a, this new guy's a stud. And I had like 
almost a hatred towards this man. <laughs> We're like, could you imagine from the get-go if I was like, oh, hey, man, like, what do you do for your... like, Tanya Harding, like, just oh, ready God. to, like, take him out. Oh, no. <laughs> so bad. It was so dumb. Uh, but, I, and we were in different squads, too, so they did even worse, like, that rivalry, right? Um, but could you imagine, like, if from the get-go, I was like, hey, what are you doing for your physical fitness routine? And then, like, worked out with him? Like, oh, my God, it would have been great. It would have been unstoppable. Mm-hmm. But so it's things like that you have to, it, it's so hard in everyday life because there's so much you have to do and there's so mm-hmm. much you have to be conscious of and yet you have to be doing. Um, and, you know, to not to single out special operations, but, you know, with that title, it's it's a harder job, right? And then that means equates to more mental stress, more stress in general. Yeah. Um, and so we're put under a tremendous amount of uh, light and stress and situations where we have to perform really well. Um, and also there's so much we have to do to maintain our job, you know, mm-hmm. to maintain readiness, et cetera. And so it's really tough, you know, in a daily life to, <laughs> to manage that. Um, and so, yeah, I completely understand and sympathize with people that are, you know, they're stressing out and like they can't figure it out yet. But those are the people that we need to pick them up. We need to yeah. insulate, not isolate. So it's another one of those terms. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, There's a motivational motto drinking yeah, game here. That's <laughs> right, exactly. Actually, I learned that one at a really terrible school. I mean, it, terrible in the sense that it was like, it was a really great school. And at the time, it was terrible. <laughs> um, so, you know, and that's a part of it, too. I'm saying a lot of things, but um, it's important to we, and it goes back to the team mentality uh, and of why that's so important. Not just in military from a military service member, but in general, I think we need to do a better job of looking out for one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's so darn important, you know, above anything else. And like Mike, what you were saying, uh, and Kate, I know you mentioned it as well, that in the corporate world environment not just corporate world, working world environment in the civilian sector is there do such a poor job of looking out for one another and it falls by mm-hmm. the wayside. I think we need to pick that back up. Um, yeah. And I don't know how we can teach that and instill that. I think talking about it here is a great spot. Hopefully listeners can grab onto this and adopt it, start trying to apply it. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's, it's super important. We need to take care more. of each other. Just as human beings. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. do everything on your own. It's impossible, you know. Well, I mean, this is a good example. I mean, I met Kate working at another company. I met you working at another company. We've maintained our relationships long after we've left those companies and not working directly for those places. But there's that oh, there's an old saying, and there's, it's in the Bible, but it's also a samurai saying, but it's like a righteous person consorts with righteous people. And you're you're seeking out those people in your life who are going to be a benefit um, and, you know, and you're attracted to those people. If you're attracted to people that are negative and people who are you know, going to bring you down, then that's where you're going to be. But if you're attracted to people that are going to lift you up mm-hmm. and, and that the one thing is, and I think hopefully people are seeing in the conversation that we've had today is that, you know, Kate and Ben, you guys are both, both humble, but also very positive and you've learned from experience and that's what's given you wisdom, right? So, uh, and that's what we're, I think what we're all striving for, whether we know it or not, is to gain that sort of wisdom. And that's maybe ultimately that makes us better 
leaders, better followers, you know, better parents, better children. I don't know. Better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it, it it creates, you know, that spread of positivity and success. Mm -hmm. You start doing it in one aspect of your life. It kind of generates to the other. Um, Mm -hmm. Whether you start it in your career, it translates over to your family lifestyle. And then from there, it just branches off into you being a better friend, better husband, better whatever it may be. Um, So, yeah, I I agree with you, Mike. I think that's well said. Yeah, I I think, too, it's the whole idea of leader and follower. I think it's a little... Again, like the the more I learn, the more I'm like, there is no such thing as just a leader or just a follower. Like all leaders are following somebody mm-hmm. and you learn as much following as you do leading. Uh, you know, it's not just about watching leaders of various degrees of success, but also watching the people following them, what they're doing well, how they're enabling that good leadership and really encouraging it. I think you know, one of the the most rewarding and most impactful sort of expressions from members of my team when they have said that they felt proud to be on the team, when they felt they were protected, when they felt that they were set up to do their best, like there is nothing more meaningful in the world that you could hear to feel like they understood that like their performance was the goal. Yeah. You know, I think that is... I, I do feel like like the term service leadership is a bit trite. It just, you know, it gives my, my Gen X, <laughs> like I just got a little, a little hivey, but um, I do think that that is when you see that recognized and when you feel it, that's what matters. And it's taking care of each other. It's setting each other up for a win because if one, one of us wins, we all win. Right. But yeah, it's it's tough though. It's tough, especially I think in a corporate culture, it's very challenging. You know, I, I, any kind of highly politicized culture, I'm sure there are areas of the forces where you just have some crappy leadership and mm-hmm. it's dog eat dog. And uh, <laughs> Mike's throat is hands up. He's like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. But you learn from but you you learn from bad leaders. Exactly. Oh yeah, you learn exactly what, what not to do. What yes. not to do exactly, and it, it teaches you too because you you see people, and it goes back to something that you talked about, Ben. Is that I mean, oftentimes a lot of who you are is when things are at their worst. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's not when everything is going right and you're having a great day, and of course everybody can be you know awesome that day. Mm-hmm. It's when. It's when everything is going south uh, and, you know, you have to you have to dig deep and you have to find out what your character is. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't that wasn't that like a line from like Wall Street? He wasn't that like you know, just before <laughs> just before they arrested uh, you know, the main character. And like when this older guy comes up and goes, you know, he talks about, you know, character staring into the abyss. And, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. We love our movie references yes. here, folks. Absolutely. Um, oh, but, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but the idea, though, is that that's you know who you are. So if you know yeah. who you are when things are going really poorly and when you're cold and and tired and hungry and everything else, that should give you a certain sense of uh, you, you'll always have that. Everybody, that's your ranger school, right? Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you can always go back. <laughs> that's right. Whether that whether it's ranger school or it was a college or it was a really weird relationship or a bad job, you know that's your ranger school, right? That you're going through. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, don't uh, don't try to forget bad or hard, difficult times. I think you should not just brush those off. I think you need to remember those and remember how you acted 
because that's how you get better. You learn um, so just, much more from failure than from yeah, success. Exactly. Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, look at and I'm not trying to tie it into today's world events, but like we're so bad at learning from history. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's a, it's comical. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that right. brings to one last. That becomes actually a big point that I wanted to actually ask you is that one of the things in special operations, and particularly in the special forces, the Army Special Forces, is having a language capability, right? Yes. And could you tell our audience what was the language that you studied, and where does that tie into the current? world situation yeah um so i studied french uh, i also speak spanish so i know both i'd say my experience though it's more um is more aligned with french right because i what i was taught was french the spanish i learned when was when i was just growing up um so i never i should probably test for that but <laughs> it's more money <laughs> but uh but yes, no, my primary language is French. Um, so that puts me in the AFRICOM, or for listeners who don't know what AFRICOM mm-hmm. is, it's basically the area of operations, which is Africa. Uh, and so that's really where French is primarily spoken, right? Um, certain countries. Mm-hmm. So, that, and, that, and Mike, that's a, one of the many beautiful ways that special operations excels, right, is learning a language. We're the only special operations group that is that has to learn another language because of what we do in our job nature. And we have to work with the local populations. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't, I'm, I'm going to correct myself. We're not the only one. I think civil affairs does learn a language as well. So we're not the only one, but if you interact with a local populace, right, you should know the language. Um, and it's mm-hmm. a great way to get a foot in the door. Um, it's a great way to build rapport. Uh, our job is, is really <laughs> primarily centered on building rapport. Uh, and so with today's, you know, world events, Mike, you know, you mentioned, um, we all know about the coup in Niger, right? Uh, and so case in point right there, you know, if you, if you can show up right day one, uh, here in America and on foreign soil, and you're supposed to be working with a partner force, uh, how do you build that trust and rapport? Well, you can go speak really poor French <laughs> and they can, and they just love it and they can love you because they're like, wow, this guy's trying. <laughs> if mean, you it, actually went to France though, they'd be like, you disgust me. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's the exception. Right. And my, my instructor in the, in the language course, he was from uh, Ivory coast, Cote d'Ivoire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, so I, you know, I had the luxury of learning the French language from the uh, dialect of Africa. And so, nice. which was great. Yeah. Because it's, it's different. It really so you're saying different. there are no plans to invade Montreal. <laughs> I think, uh, making France a note, Hold has on. their own set of issues. Oh right <laughs> uh, yeah. Good to um, know. Good to know. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we, we are required to learn a language, um, and it does help us in many ways. One of them being the top one, I would say, is building to build rapport. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it also, uh, it just kind of adds to that extra fortitude, right? Because learning a language is something else. Um, and I, you know, because I, I spoke Spanish prior to learning French, so I had the baseline level of knowing a language. Um, and I think it makes it easier to learn another language once you understand a language, another language. Uh, other than your native tongue in the first place. 
However, uh, watching people who've never had that experience was was bad. <laughs> it was it's tough. It's tough for people. I mean, it's tough. And uh, so French is a is a short language. We have short language and long languages. French is a short language, so you learn it in four months, and you finish by taking a an OPI, um, which I don't know what the acronym stands for. Basically, it's like a or- oral proficiency test. That's what it stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you talk on the phone with somebody for like forty minutes. All in, all in that language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they ask you crazy questions. <laughs> One of them actually, but the funny thing, they ask you an, an opinion question and you have to report the news. And uh, my question, I remember, was, um, honestly, I can't remember. I, I don't remember. I remember my opinion question, though. I don't remember what the news was, but I remember my opinion question was, <laughs> explain, well, first, she was talking for like 20 minutes, what it felt like. It was probably only a minute. But she was talking about the the rift between the rich and poor in the United States and the differences in economy. And she says, what do you think about that? And what do you think can be done? And I'm like, I can't even explain that to you in English. <laughs> 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 Uh, so yeah that's when you just toss your hand up in a garlic yeah exactly so yeah i so really um i haven't had to use it really yet with the the french i mean other than keeping up the skill foreign partner forces that i've worked with would be um really more from europe like eastern europe so mm-hmm. um i mean it is nice kind of knowing the French, because sometimes you never know who, who's going to speak it, right? But I have not used it operationally yet. It's probably coming. It's coming. <laughs> we do our... So uh, we do things when we're not... When people think of deployments in the military, right? They think of everyone's just getting deployed to a combat zone all the time, which that does happen. However, being in special operations, we do other things, and, and in special forces, we work closely with partner force nations, and so our allies, right? You look at our allied countries, and we work with their special operations forces. So, and that's when really the language comes into play, and learning the language, mm-hmm. um, because you, I, I, for example, I have to teach a medical class, and if I have to teach it in a foreign wow. language, that's a whole other level. Sweet um, baby Jesus, I yeah. Know. So it's very difficult, and then thankfully the majority of these places speak english as well so you have that (laughs) (laughs) so you can you know eliminate that barrier but it does come with challenges still Mm -hmm. Um, and if you i mean you can if you can do it in french or in any language right the foreign language their native language i mean that just speaks wonders to them and then again you have instant rapport it is a really very obvious way to say that you are trying to walk in somebody else's shoes yes I mean, it's probably, I mean, you're literally trying to speak their language. Yeah. So that is, I think that sort of even more over as you are out there working or as anybody is out there working, the more that you can show that you're trying to understand where somebody else is coming from, mm-hmm. that's just, yeah, I, I like that gives me the warm fuzzies just thinking about what that interaction would be like, because of course, yeah, yeah. Even if you were butchering it, it'd be like even better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And human relations, right, is huge in what we do. One mm-hmm. of them, the reasons being because I think I mentioned before, we, you know, we don't have a lot of resources. Like a lot of the time, 
you know, we'll be sent somewhere and we carry in what we have, or we have to go through means of, you know, civilian and insertion, which means mm-hmm. you can't have all the cool stuff, right? Or, and it, especially when you go and when we're started talking about like a denied area of operation, you are not, you'd be silly to go in with all of your regular equipment, right? That can be tracked or identify you as an American. So when you have to acquire things like in country, in you're not trying to stand out, so to speak. I mean, to speak the language is key. It's huge. And then if you have to go to the local farmer for chicken, for meat, right? Or for reason, like something as simple as that, like it, it helps too. So yeah, um, yeah. There's many benefits to speaking the foreign language. I think it's looking back at that point in the course, you are so burnt out that <laughs> people don't <laughs> take it as like this is just as important as learning yeah. your job skill, you know, or graduating and getting your beret. Like it's it is pretty. It is very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but people get so burnt out by that point. You're like, ah, four months of yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, you got to hold it together. I just had one more point, actually, I wanted to ask, because yeah. just to, just to kind of wrap it up, and you've been in the military for eleven years. Uh, it will be yes, almost eleven years, man. Yeah, eleven years. In your estimation, how much of that time has been training in schools? Oh God, I, I would say a majority of it, man. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, That's it's amazing. not always yeah. you know doing the fun stuff of like doing your job and getting after it, right? There's a lot more. Yeah stuff that you do on a day-to-day um and then the training and and uh going to schools is is sometimes just as important right because that's when you're learning skills and that's when you're developing things Mm -hmm. right there it's tough because in special operations taking time away from training with your team is is hard to do because you have very Mm -hmm. few limited time to do so in the first place uh, so when you go away for a school, you know, your team is down a man. And so it's like, man, I want to go do this thing, but I also don't want to leave the team. But then you look at it as like, okay, well, this is only going to benefit because I'm going to go there. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to come back and I'm going to show everybody what I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's where it goes back to like, you develop yourself and then you develop the team. So I think that is another big difference, which is a lot of corporations treat, training and development as like part of your benefits package of like, mm. this is something you can do on your time yeah. when really it, it, if you want people performing at their best, you give them the, the training and support to do that. Right. And that's just, it's a very different attitude towards it, I think. And there's also a wide variety in how far in uh, companies are leaning into that training and development, but it's, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever come across anything quite like what you describe with, with the forces, but I know that we have kept you super long and totally appreciate it. We hope you will come back yeah. for another marathon. Cause this is just so much fun. Yeah, it was one question before we head out. Yes. Favorite military movie. Oh God. I, everyone probably wants me to say Rambo, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, not. if you say Navy seals, oh, you're wrong. God, no. <laughs> um, uh, Black Hawk Down. Black Hawk Solely Down. for the one scene when the medic, uh, I don't know if you guys remember when they were holed up in the building, mm. right? And that one guy, he gets shot and the medic is working on him and he's trying to clamp the, I think it's the femoral artery. He's trying to clamp it. Like it scoots up it. Yeah. Yeah. And it slips. 
And so, like, when I first watched that, I was like, oh, God, that's terrible. Like, I'm on the edge of my seat, you know? I'm like, oh, my God. And now, like, going through and then watching it again as a medic, I'm, like, even more <laughs> watching, like, watching it even closer. <laughs> um, but, no, yeah, definitely Black Hawk Down. That, that movie is incredible. Also, the story Excellent choice. It. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. And I had a, a quick story. There was a guy... He was an instructor um, at the one of the last phases of our medical school who was one of the characters in the movie. They based it off of him. Uh, mm-hmm. And we had, I mean, this guy was awesome. Which character? <laughs> uh, it was, so that, that Hoot guy. Oh, so okay. They in the movie, so in real life, he was one of the, um, one of the Delta operators, right? So he... <laughs> And you look at him and you're like, no way. And I had no idea at the time. And then someone was like, yeah, that's the guy. Like, that's that dude. Like, he was there, part of it. Um, and, like, he, so I think his character, correct me if I'm wrong, his character was based off of, like, multiple different people. Like, he wasn't just one mm-hmm. dude. Um, and so the one of the instructors at the schoolhouse was one of those guys. I mean, it, it was, he was teaching us really awesome stuff. And he was doing it all with a cigar in his mouth the whole time, so it was classic. Of course. <laughs> He's like, here, hold my cigar, man. I'm going to show you some cool stuff. I was like, okay. <laughs> this is awesome. That is so great. So, yeah, it was great. I think that people should feel a lot better after listening to this and knowing that we've got people like Ben that are out there every day uh, and they're training and doing real-world missions and uh Thank you so much, Ben, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. This was awesome. Yeah, this was just a blast. And thank you. Honestly, thank you for your service. Thank you for your support. Yeah, this was amazing. Hopefully, hopefully you will come back. Please. We would yeah, love to have you back. This was awesome. Thank you guys for having me on. All right. Have a great one. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of The Canary Group. If you like us, please subscribe and give us five stars on your favorite listening app. Have something you'd like us to dig into? You could reach us at info at canarygroup.org. You can also find us online at www.canarygroup.org and on social media at canarygroup.org.